Hello, Tim Williams here. I'm the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Thanks for choosing to listen to one of our archived episodes from our early days of launching the show. Although I love the overall content of these episodes, I will say the recording quality was not always the best as the show was still evolving and I was learning to record and edit pretty much on the fly. I believe the sound quality and editing has improved from season to season, so be sure to check out more great episodes in our more recent seasons. I hope you enjoy this episode and that it rekindles all those warm and fuzzy nostalgic feels. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Hello movie viewers and movie lovers, my name is Tim Williams and I'm your host for the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast, where we talk about all the great and sometimes not so great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter what flick we choose from week to week, we'll have a lot of fun sharing memories, discussing our favorite scenes, and even learning some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. So let's jump right into today's episode. Thanks for listening. In 1987, a new kind of gritty, ultra-violent sci-fi action movie was born, but it came with nods to comic book heroes and classic spaghetti westerns. Helmed by a little-known Dutch director with a penchant for violence and nudity and starring a method actor better known for his work in the theater than in film, on paper it must have seemed like a pretty risky prospect to the studio bosses over at Orion Pictures. It proved to be anything but with Paul Verhoeven's provocative directorial style meshing with the clever script by Edward Neumeyer and Michael Miner, RoboCop-fused fast-paced sci-fi action with biting satire to create a film that ranks among the decade's best, even if it doesn't hold up as well today as we had hoped. On today's 80s Flick Flashback podcast, Ron West and I discuss RoboCop from 1987. So glad to have Ron back on the episode with me this week. He uh, is a pinch hitter for this episode, and I appreciate that. So um, not as much love for this as we had for Coming to America and The Goonies, but we're going to make our best, uh, give our best effort. Say hello, Ron. Uh, hello, Tim. <laughs> you made me watch RoboCop. I, I gave you the opportunity to re-watch RoboCop <laughs> to see if it was as glorious as we remembered, at least as I did when I was a 12-year-old boy. It was not. Yeah, so when did you see, <laughs> so, yeah. when did you see RoboCop for the first time? So I saw RoboCop for the first and only time. Oh my goodness! In the movie theater, I remember this 
vividly 1987 <laughs> this robocop was a big deal yeah. in 1987 oh, because yeah. of the violence mm-hmm. the rating um and so it was all over the news and of course anytime that happens uh 1987 uh, i would have been uh what 15 so mm-hmm. a couple of years older than you and so you know any 15 year old boy who's been told this movie's got tons of unnecessary violence right. and blood and gore <laughs> everywhere of course you went to the movies to see that of so, course I remember specifically uh, all of that. And, you know, late 80s was the era of warning labels on, on you know, uh, t- uh, cassette tapes right. and albums and, right. and, um, um, uh, and on, on movies and, and then later TV shows. So I saw this in the movie theater, um, but this has never really been my genre. Now, I love some good fantasy, love mm-hmm. the Harry Potter series, Lord of the Rings, of course, Star Wars. But, you know, I love that kind of uh, thing. I love some good sci-fi, you know, mm-hmm. Star Wars, Star Trek. But the, 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 I'm not sure what genre this would <laughs> fall under. The Terminators, the Robocops. Right. Like, none of those have really ever been my thing, my, my cup of tea. Right. Um, even, I know we, we both listened to a similar podcast and they were talking about Dune and how they both loved Dune. Right. And, I've never cared for I've, Dune. I've yet, Tron I've yet to finish watching Dune. I've started it, but I have not made it through it yet, and I don't think I will. <laughs> so, so as a youth, as a youth, right? Uh, as as uh, Joe Pesci would call it, and my cousin Vinny, of course. As a as a youth, um, you know, I could appreciate the completely ridiculous squirting of blood, you know, <laughs> twelve feet away from from the cut vein and arteries right, and times right. in the movie. Uh, but even then, this did not hold uh, any kind of, 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 of mark in my life. I didn't rent it when it came out. I just went, ah, Robocop, I've seen that already. Mm-hmm. The times that's come out on TV, and I'm sure we'll talk about, there's been a lot of different iterations, sequels, yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and there's there's even one just in the news, a new well, TV show, right, um, is is uh, in the works. Probably. <laughs> um, and, None of that holds any interest to me uh, right. whatsoever. Yeah, so like I said, I, I saw this in the theater as well. I think I mentioned on our previous podcast that when we lived in Maryland on the Army base, there was a single theater there that only showed one movie for like a weekend, and it was never like a first run. It was usually like when it had you know run its course in the regular you know local mall theaters it would come there, but if you got it, you know, they would run movies through the week, but usually the week it would be like for one night for kind of a B movie or, you know, something romantic comedy that wasn't like a big blockbuster kind of movie, but for their like Friday, Saturday, Sunday run, it was whatever was the big movie, you know, that came out two months before whatever. So it was always a packed house when we had those type of movies. And I remember this one being like a packed house and it was mainly packed with, Teenagers, you know, uh, and like I said, I was 12. Uh, I'm not sure how I got in because you had to have an adult with you. So I don't know if my dad saw this with me or if it was somebody else's dad decided to take, you know, the group of five or six of us that all wanted to go see it. And uh, I remember the uh, maybe the electricity in the room or just the excitement and like the reactions from certain scenes. So the, the, the experience for me holds greater memory than the actual movie. So, um, but I'm like you, I didn't, it wasn't one that like, I don't think I had this one on VHS or DVD. Uh, and really I probably had not seen it again. I mean, I think I'd seen it a couple of times, maybe when it came on cable, um, you know, a couple of years later, even when I was like 15, 16 or whatever, but uh, like maybe five or six years ago, maybe I saw that like all the RoboCops were on HBO uh, back when they were doing the streaming where you could start streaming movies from HBO instead of having recorded on your uh, TiVo or whatever, or your DVR. And so... I remember going back and said, I'm going to watch all, you know, all three or four, or however many there were, because I knew they were about to do a, a reboot of it. And uh, I think I made it through the, maybe made it through the second one, but I did not watch the third one or the fourth one, if there is a fourth one. So I can't imagine 
going through all of those sequels and, and watching <laughs> watching that movie, that would be. I mean, that's like a punishment. Like if I did something wrong, <laughs> you and, have to uh, go watch all the RoboCop movies and don't skip three uh, either. You know, no, there's so many other. <laughs> There's so many other bad movies that I would rather watch than than RoboCop. Than, right? You, know, you could be like, you got to watch all the Police Academies. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll, you know, at least the first one's pretty good. You know, I'll, yeah. I'll get through a couple of those. Um, I tried. I tried to do that a couple of years ago too. I think I made it through like four, and that was as far as I got. Yeah, I don't. Th- I don't imagine those hold up well either. <laughs> So yeah, so this one's kind of kind of a mixed bag. Uh, it does have a pretty interesting story behind how it got made, so we'll jump right into that, I guess. So, scriptwriter Edward Newmeyer got the idea for Robocop while working as a script reader and junior executive on the Warner Brothers studio lot, just next door to where Ridley Scott was filming Blade Runner. With much of Blade Runner shot at night, Newmeyer would often head over to the set when his workday finished and help out. A few people asked questions of a guy volunteering to make props. It was there that he had his light bulb moment after a car, after, I'm sorry, after seeing a car called a spinner on set. And he said, RoboCop came into my head as a title and I saw the character in this kind of bluish armored thing. He was a policeman who was also a robot and he was looking at this strange human race. It was more of an AI idea like why are people the way they are? And that was the most science fiction notion of it. That was the end of his quote. At the same time, music video director Michael Miner had been working on his own script for a film called Super Cop about a seriously injured cop who becomes cybernetic, uh, becomes a cybernetic police officer. The two ended up combining their ideas together and RoboCop was born. So RoboCop was the first major Hollywood production for Dutch director Paul Verhoeven. Although he had been working in the Netherlands for more than a decade and directed several films of acclaim, he moved to Hollywood in 1984 to seek broader opportunities. While RoboCop is often credited as his English language debut, he had in fact previously made a movie called Flesh and Blood in 1985. Uh, Verhoeven recalled that when he first glanced at the script, he discarded it in disgust. Afterwards, his wife, after picking the script from the bin and reading it more thoroughly, convinced him that the plot had more substance than he had originally assumed. Uh, Other directors that were considered were Repo Man director Alex Cox. He was offered the opportunity to direct before Verhoeven came aboard. Kenneth Johnson, who created the television series V, The Bionic Woman, and The Incredible Hulk, said that he was offered the chance to direct as well, but turned it down when he was not allowed to change aspects of the script that he considered to be, quote-unquote, mean-spirited, ugly, and ultraviolet. I wonder what was mean-spirited... And ugly. I mean, they, most of the movie is ultraviolent. So yeah, I don't see see that. But um, yeah, I mean, and once again, I, and from other things that I've read, it went through several script revisions as well. Okay. So whatever you know, whatever the original script was, might have been, you know, because they're trying to be, you know, as you can tell, they're trying to be kind of satirical and. You know, tell a story about, you know, the, the future of America and where it's over, you know, uh, consumerism and, and big conglomerate uh, uh, companies, executives, stuff like that. So it could have been a little bit more uh, harsh in those terms, possibly. Like I said, I don't know. I haven't, you know, I don't haven't had access to the, read the actual original script. So but uh, I think it's interesting that it came from an idea of Blade Runner, which is another one. I just recently watched a few years ago. I know that's a lot of people's like favorite movies and it didn't really appeal to me that much. I mean, I appreciate it for what it is, but it wasn't one like, Oh my gosh, it was the greatest movie ever made. Yeah. I easily could have included Blade Runner in the list of movies that I was not interested <laughs> in earlier that, that I gave the, um, you know, I mean, it's great that this script went through numerous changes, mm-hmm. but right at the beginning of this movie, um, something happens in the script, uh, some writing, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and discuss that now. That okay. just per- perplexed me, and it's a small detail, but they're in the police station, mm-hmm. and the attorney and the criminal are talking to the uh, police captain. Right, I guess he right. Has a recurring role, and the and they're saying, "Hey, you got to lower the charge on my client." to a you know a lesser assault charge so that he can make bail because mm-hmm. the charge that they have him already now he can't make bail 
and they're the the attorney and the and the uh, bad guy are both very upset about this. And you've got to lower this charge, Rocket Man mm-hmm. Bell. You got to. Right. And the police chief yells at them, and then they walk out of the police station. And I'm not sure the writers understand what bail is <laughs> because if if the charge is so high that you can't make bail, mm-hmm. one you would be handcuffed. Right. Two, you and your attorney don't just walk out of the police station. That's not how that works. If you can't make bail, you were in custody and staying in jail. Right. And right when that happened, I looked at Denise, at my wife, and went, "Oh, this is not going to be good." <laughs> this, also- this, Small details like that uh, right. happening, and then and then also pretty early on, when what would become RoboCop's uh, you know female partner, right? Uh, when we get into the plot, she's beating a guy up in the in the uh, in the uh, police station, right, right, right. And when she's done, uh, our, our guy Murphy, mm-hmm. who would later become RoboCop, looks at her and says, "Do you remember what he says?" Uh, I can't pretty, think of it right now. He says, "Pretty neat." <laughs> No cop in 1987 <laughs> watching another cop beat the crap out of a guy is going to go yeah, pretty, pretty neat. neat. <laughs> that was like that's just terrible. Anyway, these are small things, but gotcha. they uh, did not help my lack of or, or contributed to my lack of enjoyment of the movie. Right. Well, well, I'm glad to know that it, it it at least you knew from the beginning what you were getting into. It didn't, you know. It didn't fool you halfway through, like, oh, it's going to be that kind of movie. Uh, but you did say that Denise watched it with you. So what did Denise think? Because had she seen it before? Uh, I, I, this will sum it up for Denise. Because I actually wrote this down. When we were done, <laughs> she said, this was her quote, that made 1987 look really bad. Yes. You know what? I will agree with that statement. Because as I was, even like you're saying, those beginning, those opening shots, I'm like, this was really made in 87. Like, I'm thinking like 82, 83. It looks so, it looks even more dated. It looks more dated than like Goonies. And Goonies was like 85 or, you know. Oh, absolutely. You know, Terminator was 84. And it looks like about the same, you know, quality. You know, because Orion wasn't, you know, Orion doesn't even exist anymore, I don't think. But, you know, Orion wasn't like a major studio, I guess. So. Uh, I didn't really dig into the budget of it, but um, yeah, I, I thought the same thing. I was like, this this did not hold up well, you know, as far as like being an, a, a, for a late 80s movie, you know what I'm saying? So you think like, uh, I'm trying to think what else came out in 87 um, that I can't you know, think Be- of. Oh, Beverly Hills Cop is right about that. So, uh, Beverly Hills Cop 2, I think, was 87. The original one was the 84, but 84. I want to say, but Predator, I think, was 86 or 87. So that's a big difference between Predator and Robocop as far as quality. For sure. The, there, are, there are times that the, the, the filming of this is like an afternoon, an after school special. <laughs> yeah. Like it's it's that bad quality mm-hmm. of, of shots, of angles, of dialogue. Right. And let's not even talk about the horrible falling death scene at the end, which may oh, be yes. the worst yes. falling death scene I have ever seen yes, with the, in any movie. The extended arms that make it look like uh, a cont- <laughs> my wife my wife laughed until she started crying a little bit. <laughs> and when she was finally able to talk, she said, Why did they make his arms long? <laughs> he looked like it looked like a, a claymation, like you know, like the old claymation uh, yep. Yeah, like a Christmas claymation special. It was like Okay, all right. Uh, moving right along, we'll jump right back. We'll we'll tear it apart in a minute. Let's go back to the development. So the character of RoboCop itself was inspired by British comic book hero Judge Dredd, which I kind of can somewhat see that sure. uh, that correlation, uh, as well as the Japanese Toku series Space Sheriff Gavin uh, and the Marvel comic superhero Rom. Now I don't know much about Rom. Is that a comic book that you know anything about? It's not one that I that I collected. Um, Rom was pretty popular around that time okay. in the eighties, and it was uh, it featured a, a robot. I okay, get what the what the arm uh, Rom R O M is a, was an acronym. Gotcha, um, gotcha. All right, so they say actually a, a Rom comic book appears on screen during the film's convenience store robbery scene, 
Another <laughs> ROM comic appears in a flashback depicting Murphy's son, which I did recognize he was reading a comic book, but I didn't pause it to see, you know, I didn't, didn't have enough time to really examine what it was. Director Paul Verhoeven credits James Cameron's The Terminator with the success of RoboCop. Orion Pictures, the production company of RoboCop, was initially founded with the purpose of making quality movies instead of profitable blockbusters. Let me read that again. Initially founded with the purpose of making quality movies instead of profitable blockbusters. We'll see how well that turned out. Shortage of money forced them to produce The Terminator, which they saw as a low-budget production that might make some quick profit. But since this was not the type of movie they liked to be associated with, the studio did very little marketing for the film. When Terminator became an unexpected hit, the studio was convinced that science fiction could be profitable, so RoboCop was quickly greenlit and appropriately marketed. Verhoeven also adapted the fast ep- editing pace from that movie as well. So Interesting. Yeah. Uh, that's funny, though. Orion. They didn't want to make blockbusters. They wanted to make quality films, so they... But they're also losing money, so we still we can see how well how how successful they were at that part. Yeah, well, maybe this is why they're not in business anymore. Yeah, very very possible. So even though I, I mean I remember that logo pretty pretty familiar. I, I must have seen several of their movies, but I watched yeah. a lot of I watched a lot of B B action movies back in the day as well. So yeah, I bet you if we went through their catalog, we would find a lot of movies that are very endearing and, and close to our heart because. Yeah, you're right. That logo was on a lot of mm-hmm. opening credits of, uh, of movies that I watched. Right. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So do you know who the initial choice for the role of Alex Murphy was? I have no idea who any other choice is. <laughs> there was only, there's only one actor or actress in this movie that excites me, and I'll, I'll save that to you go through the casting. Okay, option. gotcha. So actually, Rudger Hauer was Verhoeven's initial choice for the role of Alex uh-huh. Murphy. Uh, having previously worked together on several previous projects, Armand Asante and Michael Ironside were also considered for the role with the latter of the two also in the running for the part of villain Clarence Boddicker prior to the casting of Kurt Wood Smith. I'm sure that's who you want to talk about. That's exactly who I want to talk about. <laughs> I love Kurt Wood Smith. All right, we'll, we'll get to him. So hold, hold, hold just one second. So studio bosses at Orion were also really trying to get Arnold Schwarzenegger to play the role. Of course they were after the success of Terminator. Sure. Ultimately, it was felt that Schwarzenegger and Howard in particular would both appear too bulky on the screen while wearing the RoboCop costume. Instead, they sought out an everyman actor of a lighter build. Uh, Verhoeven hit upon the idea of casting method actor Peter Weller after seeing him in The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the Eighth Dimension. Weller won the role thanks to his light frame and the fact that he was able to convey motion with only his jaw. I don't know if I really saw that much emotion from his jaw, but I guess they saw it. I, th- I thought he was terrible throughout the movie, so <laughs> jaw or no jaw. Yeah, um, and, and, and we're not going to hit as many 80s movies in this one as we did in The Goonies, but uh, another movie that people like that I've never gotten all the way through is <laughs> Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai <laughs> across too. the eighth dimension. So. Dude, this is why we're friends, because <laughs> none, none of these do I want to see again. Uh, not at all. Now, this was interesting. Stephanie Zimbalist, who at the time was one of the stars of television oh, series Room and Steel was originally cast as Anne Lewis. NBC had canceled Remington Steel in 1986, leaving the stars free to accept other roles subject to options for further episodes on their contracts. However, an upsurge of interest in Remington Steel saw the network exercise the options, which meant Zimbalist was then forced to withdraw from RoboCop to be replaced by Nancy Allen. Similarly, the move forbade Pierce Brosnan from accepting the role of James Bond in The Living Daylights. Which is how we got Timothy Dalton, right? Exactly. Yep. Which um, was not my favorite Bond either. No, and I did like though some Remington Steel. Yeah. Watch yeah. Remington Steel consistently, and I did love me some Stephanie Zimbalist. <laughs> yeah, I, I think she would have been a better fit for the role. Even granted, Nancy Allen didn't 
have a whole lot to do in this. And we will get, get I guess we'll talk more about that. We get into the movie a little bit more. So uh, your favorite of the cast, Kurtwood Smith originally auditioned for the role of Dick Jones, but lost out to Ronnie Cox, who was cast in the role because Verhoeven felt it went against the good guy image the actor had cultivated in films like Beverly Hills Cop. Smith was instead cast as crime lord Clarence Boddicker, with Verhoeven choosing the future That 70s Show actor for the part based on the bizarre fact that Dutch filmmaker felt he bore a passing resemblance to Nazi commander Heinrich Himmler. <laughs> Verhoeven even had Smith wear a pair of round wire-framed glasses similar to the ones worn by Himmler. Wow. The, the resulting performance ranks among the film's best, with Smith famously improvising several of Boddicker's most memorable moments, including the line, Can you fly, Bobby? And the moment in which he spits blood <laughs> on the police station's front desk. Interestingly, the scene in which Smith encounters Dick Jones' secretary was noteworthy for the fact that Jones's assistant was played by Joan Perkle, who Smith began dating while working on the film, and they married a year later. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. So. Yes, this was wonderful for me. I'm a huge fan of that 70s show. <laughs> yeah, I know. I see Kerwin Smith, who plays Red Foreman, the patriarch on that show, right. who in every episode, as a running gag, threatens to break his foot off in someone's behind. <laughs> to see him play a bad guy who was actually killing people, blowing yeah. people up, and uh, I actually had completely forgotten that he was in the movie. And oh, so yeah. as soon as I saw that, that at least piqued my interest. And I right. went, Red, Red Foreman's blowing people up and killing them. <laughs> and he's, he's a ruthless killer. That's oh, yeah. Fantastic. He did have some good lines, though. I mean, you know, it was, you know, pretty cheesy. But, you know, can you fly, Bobby? That was a great line. And, uh, yeah, when he spit on the desk, that was... Oh, no, my favorite scene is when he when he goes in to, with the secretary and he puts his chewing gum on her nameplate. And then he walks away and says, you can keep the gum. <laughs> I was like, he was, he was loving playing that, that role he had to have. So yeah, I think most actors enjoy a good, a, a good bad guy, a, a good, good villain. A good psychopath is always good to play, I guess. So, yeah. Uh, all right. So filming began on August 6th, 1986 and wrapped on November 8th. The scenes depicting Murphy's death were not filmed until the following January some months after principal shooting had ceased. Although RoboCop is set in Detroit, Michigan, many of the urban settings in the film were actually filmed in Dallas, Texas. The futuristic appearances of the Dallas buildings, such as Reunion Tower, are viable... I'm sorry. Uh, uh, the futuristic appearances of the Dallas buildings, such as Reunion Tower, are visible in the background during the car chase. The front of Dallas City Hall was used as the exterior for the fictional OCP headquarters combined with extensive matte paintings to make the building appear taller than it actually was. The steel mill scenes were filmed in Wheeling Pittsburgh Steel's Montesson Works in the Pittsburgh suburb of Montesson, Pennsylvania. So, yep. Uh, so, and we'll talk more. I'm trying to skip through some of this. Uh, I don't really want to talk about, about the suit, but I'll say this. So, um, so a little bit about the suit. We won't get too much into that that part of it, but the the word on the street was Peter Weller did not like wearing the suit, much like why um, Jean-Claude Van Damme did not last in the Predator suit, if you listen to that previous pop, uh, podcast. Very uncomfortable. But he also said that he lost three pounds uh, in a few weeks because he sweat so much. There was no – it was so hot in the suit. They eventually were able to put some kind of air conditioning unit in the suit to keep him from uh, from basically dehydrating and fading away in the suit, so oh, that's interesting. And three pounds wouldn't seem like a lot, I think, in uh, normal circumstances. But he's already he's thin. Generally, yeah, he's a pretty thin guy. So three pounds, and if if they weren't able to fix that by the time they finished shooting, you know, he would have been in double digits. That, that in pounds lost, that would have been. I can see why that would be uncomfortable. Right. All right. So you know, before we kind of you know, talk bad about this movie. <laughs> was, there, was there anything in the movie that you enjoyed or anything that, well, I guess we, I don't want to talk about favorite scenes necessarily, but anything, any iconic scenes or scenes that you were like, even at 15 was like, oh, that was pretty cool. Or, you know, uh, have stayed with you over the years. No, there was nothing that stayed with me over the years. <laughs> there was nothing from this movie from the original time that I saw it to now that stayed with me watching it again. Just some of the, gore uh there was a scene where someone's neck is cut and 
blood, like I said, is shooting 12 feet away. Right. I mean, like it's just a garden hose right. on shooting, which blood does spurt, but right. not not to the point that it could like put somebody's eye out of it. It'll, right. uh, it it's coming out so strong. Just things like that that just kind of made me made me chuckle, probably, I'm sure, unintentionally. Right. Uh, uh, Especially now, movie. yeah. I, I would have touched on some of Kurt Woods, Kurt Woods' lines, you know, the villain lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I enjoyed this time, but nothing... All I remembered from the original time of watching it was uh, him with that gun that you know comes out very quick, and him mm-hmm. twirling the gun around. That's kind of the iconic RoboCop thing. Him and holding that that special RoboCop gun, right? And the ultraviolence. So those mm-hmm. are the things that I recall from the movie and uh, and the themes that carried out throughout it. Gotcha. Now, did you enjoy the little comic? Elements like the fake commercials <laughs> and the news stories. I, I greatly enjoyed the game for basically a ripoff of Battleship called Nukem. Yes, <laughs> that that was uh, that was pretty pretty funny. Um, and I you know I had read that, uh, and I'm assuming you're going to get to the ratings. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And that because because the movie had such a uh, problem with the rating system mm-hmm. um, and had all this hype of being ultra violent that had added those comedy commercials to kind of lighten the, yeah, yeah. the tone of, of the film. Uh, and I actually read that before I watched it okay. yesterday. So I was, I, I didn't remember any of the commercials, but I, yeah. as they were happening uh, and I did you know, right off the bat, I was like, Oh, that's Lisa Gibbons. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. And, Entertainment and tonight. I couldn't remember if was she already, a star on TV then? I don't think so. She, I think she was still kind of up and coming at that point. Um, okay. Yeah, I think. So, yeah. So, as you said, the movie was originally given an X rating by the Motion Picture Association of America in 1987 due to its graphic violence. To appease the requirements of the ratings board, Verhoeven reduced the blood and gore in the most violent scenes in the movie, including Ed 209's shooting of Kenny in the boardroom. Bobby being shot in the leg, the Boddicker's gang's execution of Murphy with shotguns, and the final battle with Boddicker. Uh, as you said, he also added the humorous commercials throughout the news broadcast to lighten the mood and distract from the violent aspects of the movie. Uh, after 11 original X ratings, so he, he edited it 11 times, the film was eventually given an R rating for graphic violence, strong language, and brief nudity. So, but yeah... Uh, uh, it's the commercial isn't that funny, but I love that the car was the uh, six thousand SUX, so it was six thousand yes. sucks, uh, which yeah. which made me laugh even back then. Um, and then, of course, probably the most famous line from this movie comes from the fictional TV show that everybody seems to be obsessed with in the movie, and the line "I'll buy that for a dollar." Uh, so, I mean, I've heard that. Absolutely. mentioned several several times so that's probably the most iconic line of the movie that has nothing to do really with the, with the bulk of the movie at all so yeah yeah I, I also remember uh you know again 15 years old being disappointed when you're going to a movie and you see a brief nudity right and then the brief nudity was a male butt standing in the uh, locker room uh which uh you know as a 15 year old kind of disappointed me that that <laughs> I think there was like a flash of a female breast because the, and I was reading this about Verhoeven was really big about, um, he wanted to show that the future was not as obsessed with like male and female, but you know, having a co-ed locker room. So having men and women undressing and dressing in the same thing. Uh, and he had to cut some of that down. I think I read for the, for the rating as well. Um, but he, he also directed Starship Troopers, which I've also never seen. Um, but supposedly he wanted to make up for that. So there's a much longer similar scene in a locker room, you know, uh, area with men and women. Um, and you see, you know, all the private parts in, in that scene from what I understand. So, um, yeah, you know, and let's talk about, and talking about Verhoeven, he also directed, you know, he did direct some other decent movies. He did Total Recall, which is pretty good. Still not one of my favorite, uh, Schwarzenegger movies. But he also went on to direct, like I said, Starship Troopers. He did Basic Instinct and Showgirls, which I think is the one that kind of ended his direct, directing career at that point. So, um, yeah, he he's not afraid of the nudity. So, 
Yeah, I have also never seen Starship Troopers, so we continue our uh, two peas in a pod uh, theme for for the evening. Also, not something that that interests me. Right. Yeah, uh, which I think has some of the similar like stop stop motion uh, special effects like they did for Ed Two Hundred Nine, which I thought was still was pretty funny. Um, once again, the the special effects that do not hold up very well now. Um, the Ed 209 scene, I remember very, you know, that's the most, that's kind of the most brutal scene at the beginning. Uh, and like I said, I mean, the theater, I remember just the reaction of that scene, but it was also like watching it now and seeing how fake the big, you know, robot thing was. Uh, but I still laugh when towards the end, when it's chasing Robocop at the end and it gets to the staircase and it can't feel the step and it falls down and it's like crying and they use pig noises, like a pig squealing, like it's crying, uh, that still makes me laugh because I'm like, that's just ridiculous. But it was like a, it was like it was a baby throwing a yeah, temper tantrum. tantrum. Yeah, exactly. The but the uh, back to the rating for just a second. Yeah, yeah. The, you, know, you don't think about X ratings and violence. No, really. obviously you think about pornography, and right? Things, and things like that. But um, and of course the X rating is the kiss of death for mm-hmm. a movie making any any money, right? Um, but uh, uh, for it to go through that you know, get that rating 11 times and they cut down the violence, mm-hmm. you know, and I, like, I don't even want to see the, un- the uncut version yet. Right. Because this is still extremely violent. The, the, mm-hmm. the killing scene of Murphy, the torture scene of Murphy yeah. really is, is very graphic and, and violent. And, and of course other scenes as well, like you said, autographed at the end, but, uh, you know, it clearly was earning, the rating. Oh yeah, that it was getting. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I, I I read that there is an uncut version that you can watch on one of the DVDs, um, but I I don't feel like I need to see it. And I read, you know, some of the like I said, some of the scenes which you see, and I'm like, who needs to see that? But his, I think his thinking was to be excessive to prove how unnecessary it was. And once again, you kind of, you know, it's kind of doing a disservice to the point you're trying to make. Um, we won't get into that whole kind of uh, rabbit trail, but uh, but yeah, yeah so. well, there's a whole controversy with that right now with yeah. Netflix. And yeah, a, 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 you know that's that's an, always an interesting direction to go mm-hmm. to, to go in the opposite direction. Right, really to to use the thing that you don't want people to use is like you're not helping the situation. Absolutely, and. And, and you touched on the graphics uh, a little while ago as well mm-hmm. and how some of the graphics are dated. But, I mean, we could have watched The Last Starfighter and oh, those yeah. graphics are dated as well. And yeah. I would have greatly enjoyed watching <laughs> The Last Starfighter. Yeah. Um, who, I mean, I was playing video games at that age just waiting on some space agent oh, yeah, to yeah. call me up to right. take on the Armada. And once again, and, I think Starfighter was 80, that was like, like either 84 or 85 so once again, before this movie, and I can't say that one had a huge budget because it wasn't, you know, it became more of a cult classic than a big blockbuster. But sure. um, but uh, interesting that you mentioned the last Starfighter. Do you know that the uh, the head boss in of o- o- uh, OCD, not OCD, is it OCD? OCD, yeah. I'm thinking obsessive, obsessive compulsive disorders. That what it's called. Uh, but OCD, like I, when the guy was talking at the beginning, I was like, "That actor has been in something else. I know that voice," and I couldn't place it. I looked it up. He plays the alien friend in the Last Starfighter. Oh, really? Yes. And the voice when I pulled it up, I was like, "That's that voice." I I, I I couldn't put the face together because he's totally in makeup in Last Starfighter, so you have no idea what he looks like. But that voice is so distinct, so. Now you're going to go back and watch that Starfighter and, and pick it up. So. I'll wait till it comes up on your podcast and I'll watch it with you. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, we talked about Rom, uh, one of the other the comic books that was referenced. The film also gives another nod to an iron giant of justice. Robocop's first bust is the machine gun maniac in the convenience store who takes an Iron Man comic book off the shelf. Verhoeven felt that an Iron Man comic book was an appropriate tribute since both the Robocop and Iron Man wore metal suits in their pursuit of justice. Okay. That didn't excite you. Okay, I tried. It, it, it did. <laughs> it just yeah. it made it worse. 
Yeah. Don't drag Iron Man into this, right? <laughs> Don't bring Marvel. <laughs> Don't bring the Marvel Cinematic Universe into your RoboCop nonsense. <laughs> My name is Laramie Wells, and I host a podcast called Moving Panels. On Moving Panels, we discuss movies and television shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. Join me and a wide range of guest hosts as we discuss the hits like Logan and The Dark Knight, as well as clear misses like X-Men Origins, Wolverine, and Green Lantern. New episodes drop every other Friday, and you can find us wherever you download your podcasts. So join us for Moving Panels, and we'll see you on the other side of the page. Uh, Were you a fan of Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman? I was not. Okay. It always seemed like I should have been because I love <laughs> Mesa Little House on the Prairie. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I love things that remind me of a simpler time. Right. But for whatever reason, I never never got into Dr. Quinn. Okay. Well, this may interest you or not. So the scene in which RoboCop shoots one of a pair of criminals attempting to mug and assault an innocent female citizen played by Donna Keegan is one of the most memorable in the movie, but it almost didn't happen. In the original script, RoboCop was originally supposed to shoot past Keegan's character, hitting one of the attackers, played by William Shockley, in the cheek. Paul Verhoeven decided to alter it during filming so that RoboCop shot through Keegan's legs and hit the attacker in the crotch. It's a good thing he did, according to Verhoeven, Shockley's credits, his memorable but brief appearance in RoboCop, as helping him land the part of Hulk Lawson on Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. Shockley went on to star in a spinoff from the show and has had bit parts in several major movies since. Huh. Very so, interesting. Yeah. I will say that was another, you know, pretty big scene that all the, you know, young boys that saw we saw for the first time, that was, you know, so incredible. He got shot in the nuts, man. Uh, <laughs> yep. Yep. Shot through her skirt. Yeah. Which, did not hit her. Right. Right. Bad guy. Yeah. yeah. So that was, yeah. Once again, kind of looking at it from an adult's eyes, it's kind of like, that. was that really the best option you had? Um, no, it wasn't. So uh, on the DVD, Ray Wise, who played one of the goons with Kurtwood Smith, ended up, they both ended up being too close to an explosion, which caused pieces of glass to be embedded into Ray's face. He received an additional stunt pay for his mishap as per the studio. Ray then jokingly states that he devised ways where he could be as close to the explosions as possible to gain extra money. <laughs> All right, and this is the last bit of trivia that I'll share for this episode. Uh, as you, you and I are big fans of Marvel movies, post- or mid-credit Easter eggs and additional scenes were almost completely unheard of when RoboCop was released. But Paul Verhoeven's film does feature one early example of the art form that can be found in the film's closing seconds. A blink-and-you'll-miss-it message appears on the screen after the initial cast is listed. It says, Unauthorized duplication, distribution, or exhibition may result in civil liability and criminal prosecution by enforcement droids. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I want to say that I did, like, somebody pointed out to me maybe when it was on cable or something, and I remembered seeing that, but I didn't I didn't notice when I watched it the other day, so. I literally stopped it the second the movie ended, <laughs> and it was not setting through. Um, I did, however, this weekend watch Ferris Bueller. I haven't watched Ferris in a while. Oh, I yeah. I sat through the credits for, to listen to him tell me that it was over at the mm-hmm. go home. home. Even though you were home already? I was. But he didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. That's yeah. It's like those scenes we're in some another '80s movie now, all of a sudden. But uh, I remember like that. I w- I saw Ferris Bueller in the theater, so I remember that. You know, staying for the end and seeing that, I thought that was so cool. But then I remember a couple of years later when Scrooge came out, and and that scene where, where the credits are rolling, and Bill Murray's you know having everybody sing along like, "Now this side of the theater, now just the men, just the men." It was so cool to be in the theater when they did that. But now when it comes on TV or I see the video, I'm like. It's just not as much fun in the when you watch them, you know, when you're not watching in the theater for that that scene. So, but uh, I, it makes me wonder if they would still do something like that now, knowing that well, right now no, nothing's really playing in the theaters that much. But even for movies that now live on in digital and DVD and Blu-ray and all that kind of stuff, they probably wouldn't film something like that anymore. So, well, I know that you are a Scrooged fan. I am. And I don't think I have ever actually watched Scrooged either. So <sighs> this holiday season, I will. To save our friendship, I will rectify that, and I will watch 
Scrooged, and then I will let you know if uh, it's something I will watch again. Okay. Now, are, now, are you a Bill Murray fan at all? Oh yeah, I love some Bill Murray. Okay, well then you'll like it. I mean, it's 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 Bill Murray at his one of his most Bill Murrayest. I mean, it's up there with that Groundhog Day as far as like one of his funniest performances. I think, at least in my in my opinion. So, I'm partial to his performance in Zombieland myself. Oh well, yeah, that, that's one I still have yet to finish. But moving on. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the box office. RoboCop was released on July 17, 1987. The film opened at number one and grossed over $8 million in its opening weekend and another $6 million in its second weekend, gaining, I'm sorry, again regaining the top spot at the box office. It topped rival films released at the same time, including Full Metal Jacket and Superman 4. In total, it grossed $53.4 million during its North American run, making it the 16th most successful film that year. Now, here's what's interesting to me. The R-rated theatrical version of RoboCop was released on VHS and Laserdisc in February 1988. It was sold for, on VHS, $89.98. And for the SVHS, which I don't remember what that is, it was $39.98. But it grossed $24 million just from rentals. Wow. Yeah. So it was obviously you know, pretty good at the box office, but it really killed on home video. So. Pun, pun intended? Pun intended, yeah, pun intended, yeah. Dead or alive, you're coming with me. All right, currently on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 90% on the Tomato meter and an 84% audience score. On IMDb, it's a little lower with a 7.5 out of 10 with a 67% on Metacritic. Uh, I'm going IMDb. I'm going to say you're pretty much on the same boat with me on that one. Uh, yeah, it's, I think those are generous. Yeah. Uh, just yeah. not my cup of tea. I mean, if we're going like on a scale of 10, I'm probably going to four, maybe a three and a half. Oh, I mean, okay. Not, yeah, this is not high on my... Uh, yeah, I may not go that low, but yeah, I mean, definitely, yeah, seven, seven point five may be a little high, maybe closer to a seven, maybe a six. So, but as you mentioned, the success of the movie spawned a large franchise, including merchandise, two sequels, a television series, a remake, two animated TV series, a television miniseries, video games, and a number of comic book adaptations and crossovers. Plans for a Terminator vs. Robocop film have been on and off in the works since 1990. Although no movie has yet to be made with the crossover, several video games and comic books have been released based on the idea of making the project one of the most anticipated crossovers of all time. But not for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just announced this week. I think it's on the latest Fat uh, Man Beyond podcast. Okay. Actually, they talked about there's a uh, new TV show. Uh, in works and in development being discussed for RoboCop. Gotcha. I haven't got. I haven't made it. I'm. I'm. I think I'm one behind on that one. So I haven't heard that news just yet. So, but uh, it doesn't surprise me. They'll. They'll. They'll reboot. Well, I also read that there was a. They were going to try to do a direct sequel, like a new direct sequel from the first movie, that was going to, you know, uh, pretend like none of the other sequels happened, which is getting, becoming kind of famous now after Halloween. Uh, that came out last year, right. Um, right. that that was supposedly in the works back in 2018, but they didn't have any, any new information on that one. So, so you know, once again, it's IP that is still, you know, at least for people our age, it's, it's something we remember. Um, I won't talk about the reboot that came out. I think it was 2014. Um, I actually got to see that one for free uh, when I used to be able to do the uh, the early preview movies. Uh, and I was glad I saw it for free uh, because I would not have been happy to pay money to see the reboot. It was really, really bad. So, uh, really, really I'm bad. Sorry. <laughs> so, well, you got your money's worth. Yeah, exactly. All right, any final thoughts on RoboCop from you? I have no final thoughts on RoboCop. Yeah, I do have a final thought on I've been streaming Game of Thrones, and I'm on the last episode tonight. So tonight I get the Iron Throne episode, so I'm excited about that. <laughs> well, that's good to know. That's a totally different kind of uh, adventure, <laughs> I'm sure. So uh, my wife and I will go back to the Big Bang Theory, I'm sure, tonight as we're in the middle of uh, or 
the beginning of season six. So, and uh, what's been funny is uh, like we'll watch. Uh, we'll watch Big Bang Theory until my wife gets sleepy and then she falls asleep and then I'm, I end up watching reruns of Friends on Nick at Night um, to fall asleep to. So I'm I'm overloaded with sitcoms right now. So. <laughs> well, that's two, that's two pretty good ones to be honest. Yeah, over. yeah. So, so. Okay. All right, well, thanks, Ron, for being a part of this episode. I really appreciate you, uh, like I said, pinch hitting for this one. Uh, the original co-host we had wasn't able to be with us this week. So but thanks for uh, for checking in. And the cool thing is, you're back for the next episode as well when we talk about The Last Dragon. Oh, yeah. We get some Barry Gordy action coming up now. <laughs> now, I have watched this recently, and it does not hold up well at all. <laughs> Don't spoil it. Still, it. Don't no, spoil it. it is still fun to watch. That is a fun, <laughs> it does not hold up well movie. You will laugh, and I will enjoy it. Denise will watch that one with me as well. In fact, I'll make bring her in as a guest guest. Oh, host that's great. During the next uh, podcast. But, uh, that will be any movie that your star is vanity is going to have bad acting. So we <laughs> yeah. have to start right there. <laughs> um, show but, enough. Uh, show enough. Who's the best? <laughs> show enough. Who I did not realize until very long. A little bit of trivia. We'll touch on this next week. Yeah. Boyd Meets World was also one of my wife's, um, the two of us, like we were early marriage and dating. We watch. We love that. Right. Um, show enough play is on Boyd Meets World. He plays oh, the really? father of a character on the name Angela who's <laughs> in the military. Okay. And it was a long time before I realized that was the same actor. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's from The Last Dragon. Anyway. Awesome. We'll talk about it next week. Yep. Good things to look forward to in two weeks when we hit The Last Dragon. But this is the end of the Robocop episode. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll see you guys next time. Peace. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, we have a few ways for you to do just that. One way is to send us an email to movieviewspodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voice message to the Anchor app. You can find the link to leave a voice message in our episode show notes. If you do leave us a message, we may just use it in an upcoming mini-episode. Another way to reach us is through the new 80s Flick Flashback Podcast Facebook page, as well as our Movie Views Instagram. Also, be on the lookout for our next mini-episode. Each mini-episode offers some fun segments about the previous full episode, and we'll also introduce the next 80s Flick we'll be watching and covering in the next episode. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, be sure to give us a 5-star rating, leave us a stellar written review, and go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you won't miss any of our upcoming episodes. No matter which podcasting platform you're listening to us on, be sure to read the episode show notes to find more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into this episode. That's all for now. Join us again next time for another 80s Flick Flashback.